It's the True Penny Show with your host, James True Penny. Hello and welcome to the True Penny Show. My name's James True Penny. This is my show, and today we bring you the True Penny Show Awards for 2020, where me and some friends meanderingly give opinions on things that happened in the year. We've done this many times before. You know the drill. And to join me to discuss their nominations as well as mine. First of all, from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, it's Mr. Marcus Green. How are you, sir? Doing good. And I guess in the in a wrestling year, that can only be summed up if I had to compare it to a, a horrible angle as Katie Vick. Um, <laughs> we're going to try to, you know, bring some uh, some logical light to the end of it. So. Back, back in the days of the Freeland Wrestling Rewind, when Mike Freeland was in charge and not Barry O'Connor, they did have the Katie Vick scale. And this is all of the Katie Vick scale. So there you go. Uh, Katie Vick scale, of course, based on the Muta scale. And if one man knows more about the Muta scale than anyone else, it's the master of death matches, Mr. John Dinsdale. How are you, sir? I am pretty good. Just trying to recover after we've seen the British government pull the world's greatest heel turn and cancel Christmas. At least we can talk about wrestling, eh? You you say that like they were popular to start with. Yeah, but I mean, when you can <laughs> outdo yourself in the heel category by one-upping it, you're you're really, really, you're besting Tai Chi in levels of just being a pure dickhead. <laughs> there is that, and there's also the fact that they're just abjectly incompetent. Uh, I'm going to get you in trouble they're... for having politics again, aren't I? Oh, probably. <laughs> <laughs> At this point, who cares? So, so if you've listened to the previous five years of the True Penny Show Awards, I think it's five, you will know what we do. We pick some categories for each continent, Asia, Europe, and North America, and we pick some nominations. This isn't. This is just our opinions. This isn't like hard facts. Some of them are completely arbitrary just because we like the people. You're allowed to do that. It's fine. It doesn't have to be objectively the greatest match of the year. It's just what we found fun and what we thought was our best matches of the year, best wrestlers of the year, and so on. Before we start, Europe, like for most of the UK, is a sore point at the moment. European, We normally try and put European awards together because we do watch a lot of European wrestling. And uh, Cy Heath, who's our, our British wrestling expert, and me go to a lot of European wrestling when we can. We have not been able to this year because there basically hasn't been that much. There's been a bit. And John will discuss his European nominations, but me and Marcus have both been lost. And the biggest issue with British and European wrestling has been really the speaking out movement. And though there was, you know, some big moments in that, I think really it did the wrestling business a lot of good to clear out a lot of bad business. But I guess we can talk back about that time. But let's walk, talk with the big stuff. Are we starting with Asia and North America, boys? What do we reckon? Asia's at the top of the document, so I feel Asia. Okay, then. So I will start, as it's, as it's my show, <laughs> and then we'll rotate through John and Marcus. So my nomination for the match of the year goes to the Chaos versus Chaos Never open weight six man tag team final in Kurikan Hall. Kazuchika Okada, Sho, and Tarayano versus Yoshihashi, uh, Hiroki Goto, 
and Tomohiro Ishii because it was actually my favorite match of the year. It was exactly what I wanted to see. My six favorite wrestlers from my six, well, from my favorite faction having the best match of the year that they could possibly have. It's one of those arbitrary ones. I could have picked something dead serious. I was really impressed with Hiromo and Desperado from Best of Super Juniors final. Um, and as well, Finn Juice and uh, Yoshihashi and Hiroki Goto from World Tag League. I've watched some really cool matches this year, but that was for me what I like about pro wrestling. It was just good wrestlers having a great match that told a great story. And it was self-encapsulating, and it did something. It meant the Never Open Weight Six-Man Tag Team Championships actually have a future and mean something more than they ever have done in their existence. So for me, that was my match of the year. Have you any thoughts on my choices there, Marcus? No, you know, it's, it's, it's rad that I can even, you know, contest most of your choices, really. I don't because, you know, it's a great match, but... Like just those those six man, I think you know um, we can take for granted a lot of times like just the six mans and the tag teams matches in general, which I think a lot of times kind of go overlooked specifically when you know they're in a the year with with a G one. Uh, but I you know I one hundred percent agree with that, and yeah, I think. Um, sorry, I cut out there for a minute, but uh, yeah, I mean yeah. that was a good pick. I mean those uh, those guys really you know, really turned it up. And I, and I think uh, it's kind of, like I said, it's hard because some of those those six men's really not only continue storylines, but end up turning out, you know, some, some five-star matches because the way New Japan executes them, they always kind of intrinsically weave in and out of the stories. Like each guy gets their stuff in with the guy that they're beefing with or the guy that they're going to be beefing with, and they do it in a way that sometimes takes over the match which is, is sometimes a better man because sometimes it's a cluster but uh that specifically really uh was one of the better things in, in that division so yeah i agree what's your nominations for your asian match of the year marcus for me i'm gonna have to go with a one-on-one -on -one contest uh going back to a uh, power struggle and for me, it was uh, New Japan's resident Michael Myers and Minoru Suzuki going head up with probably my favorite wrestler in New Japan, Shingo uh, Takaki. Oh, that was an absolute corker, I must admit. That is a yeah. very fine chair. So can you give us the reasons why? Yeah, like I said, I think we, we talked about it. It's it's not oftentimes we could talk about any New Japan narrative and, and you know, Minoru will be left out. And for him to be, I think we talked about it several times, him be left out of the G1. Um, and obviously that being an issue and then him kind of resetting himself um, in a way coming back this year. But then, you know, like Minoru does, like sometimes he obviously he's a, a an agent of chaos. Um, no, pun, <laughs> no pun intended, but... When he hones in on somebody, it's like the worst thing ever. And he literally, Shingo Takagi is not a man to be messed with. He is an absolute boss. But he looked like, for a moment, he looked like he was a young lion getting picked on by, uh, like, a sinister. <laughs> and it was amazing to watch because it's, it's not oftentimes that somebody like Shingo Takagi meets somebody that makes them raise their game. But that's, that's what Minoru did. And the fact that he not only embarrassed him, he took his title, he embarrassed him both in the ring, out of the ring. And, uh, yeah, he, he really turned up uh, in that match. And, it, like you said, it's an absolute corker. And if you want to see the best of those two gentlemen, I, I'll probably point to that match 
as uh, as a prime example. So yeah. Mr. John Dinsdale, do you have commentary on those two choices? And what is your nomination for Match of the Year? So for your two picks, then, yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. Shingo Suzuki put on an absolute feud of the year that could have easily taken a hot, a hot the top spot there. The match where they're just literally beating the hell out of each other, it's fun as hell. The six-man tag, I haven't seen personally, but given how New Japan has been almost revitalizing their tag team division in like 2020 of all years. It's it's nice to see that some of those six mans, a title that was often usually ignored, has suddenly become relevant again. And yeah. for my pick, I have gone to BJW, shock horror. And it is <laughs> from one of their no-fan Survivor shows that happened, I think it was in July, August, and it is Toshiyuki Sakuda versus Yuki Ishikawa versus Abdullah Kobayashi. The empty warehouse triple threat match that is literally 20 plus minutes of them just filling a warehouse with light tubes and breaking them over each other. It is a match that could never, ever be done with fans in attendance. They sort of give cinematic matches the middle finger and just put on the ultimate empty arena death match. I have not stopped singing this match's praises all year. Well, since I saw it, and it's it's unbelievable. It's just the sort of cathartic release you want when you're sort of cooped up inside. Because it's like, well, these guys are smashing stuff up for me in my presence, in my place. Thank you. <laughs> you see, Byron Marcus's taste is slightly left field, but John's taste is a whole other field. So, <laughs> but yes, I can understand why. I too have heard great things, and those are legendary names in the BJW stratosphere. BJW's had a really good year because, with a lot of things out the way, the focus has spread to a lot of the other companies and New Japan hasn't been the brightest star in the firmament necessarily because it couldn't run shows and the smaller companies who could afford to run empty arena matches like you like you were saying and just run them for, for streaming services have kind of shone and it's been really good for them, I think. And BJW have really grown their audience this year but their audience was already pretty big to start with, wasn't it? It was, and it's really damn good to see. Death matches have had such a good year. Yeah. Okay, then we'll move on to our second award from the Asian category, which is Wrestler of the Year. Marcus, who is your Asian Wrestler of the Year? Um, as uh, a particular huge fan of anything Super Junior related when it comes to New Japan, I have to go to uh, will feel up really the, the king of the super juniors right now of uh, sits at the top of the throne, and that is Hiromu Takahashi. Um, you know, you know, it wasn't that long ago we thought this this man's career may have been over. He returned last year, um, and you know, to great success and, and did his thing. But the, recently, he participated and and won the you know best of super junior tournament, and you know. In some aspects, he, he changed his style uh, style up some and, and developed a couple new moves. And, you know, Hiromu has just come, like, leaps and bounds 
from me for me dating all the way back to his his ring of honor days and just like i said before on, on previous shows just trying to figure out who the heck this this little crazy guy was with the red hair running <laughs> around screaming and just doing crazy stuff to just really seeing some of the flawless execution that he that he performs in the ring and then seeing him go down and and come back the way that he did and and to rise back to the top of the super juniors has really just been something to see and you know anytime he's on the card for the, even a, a minor show he had he usually has a match to watch because the guy is just just top notch so yeah agreed uh i would have to say that um uh, i'll go with john first before i give my nomination what's your thoughts on marcus's nomination and what is your nomination uh hiromu is just he's already a legend he's barely been wrestling for that long in like compared to japanese careers so yeah easy wrestler of the year couldn't agree more again i've gone completely out of left field and (laughs) as i was looking at my award sheet i've had i've had like a sort of a bit of a relapse on one of these because i'm torn on my wrestler of the year because i was going to give it to minari fujita Again, he yeah. captured the BJW Deathmatch title. He's an amazing sort of veteran with so much range. Like, you can see him doing comedy deathmatches to just serious title competitor. He's had one hell of a year. And then, just looking at some of my um, nominations for things coming up later down the line, I want to throw, like, Shun Makatsumata in as well. Just because he's really coming to his own this year as well. He went from doing DDT death matches to sort of earning a shot on the BJW roster. He's been slowly tearing it up across their division lately. So those are my wrestlers of the year. Okay. Um, well, my Asian wrestler of the year, and in a shocking turn of events, isn't Mako Satomura, who's won it for my nomination for the last four years. <laughs> but, uh because I just haven't seen Mako wrestle this year because she's not had many matches and they've not been on, on uh, available to me. So my wrestler of the year, I have to agree with Marcus. And my nomination is Hiromu Takahashi. He has grown leaps and bounds as a pro wrestler in the last 12 months. His present, he's always had the personality. He's always had the charisma. He's always had the moves. But I think... It was his Liger moment. Like, Jushin Liger in 94 was the most agile, the best junior heavyweight that had ever been at that particular point. And he shatters his ankle, or he bears brain tuber, actually, and then a year later shatters his ankle. And he just can't do the high-flying stuff anymore like he used to. So he changes his entire style and becomes even more compelling and becomes even more of an attraction to New Japan Pro Wrestling. And Hiromu Takahashi had that moment. He came back. He changed the way he presented his business and told different stories. And those stories were a much more emotional pull with a lot less effort, which means a much longer career. You only have to look at the match he had with Desperado at the Best of Super Juniors final. And he is a compelling character I am keen to watch more of, which wasn't always true in the old time bomb days he i find him a bit too erratic i found him a bit too uh i couldn't really connect with him i think and sometimes i was just thinking what's this little sociopath up to now 
Whereas now I actually want to know what Hiromu Takahashi is up to and what he's going to do next. And that's the reason why I nominated him. He's a much better all-round performer. I really pulled for him in his match against Evil for the, uh, for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. Which for a Chaos guy is, is really hard. Pull for an LIJ guy. <laughs> but, but I felt for him. I felt the emotions he was going through. And he's, he's the big winner of evil leaving LIJ, believe it or not, because he's had this emotional depth and the pain he's gone through where NATO seems not that bothered. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, oh, all right. So, yeah, it's, I think Takahashi has been outstanding. And I, I don't disagree with your nominations, John, as well. I think you have done an awful lot uh, to highlight what these great wrestlers are doing in companies that aren't mainstream Japanese wrestling companies. And I think that's the big difference between this year and previous years. With people being off work a lot of the time, they have a much more wider chance to go catch up with DDT. And we know we're in BJW with All Japan and they want to know more about these promotions. And I think that's kind of like where the perception of wrestling is in Japan at the moment is a much greater depth and width. Do you see what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So our next nomination for the Asian categories is Tag Team of the Year. John, who's your nomination for Tag Team of the Year? See, I haven't seen as many like tag matches this year as I would in others. Uh, for some reason, I just like I haven't seen Tag League yet. I didn't really see much of the sort of six-man tournament. So I've just gone with Dangerous Techers. Because that was the tag team matches I did see. They were the sort of dominant force. They had that brutal torture of Tanahashi. And yeah, it's got Tai Chi in it. So I've got to give him at least one award. <laughs> Marcus, who is your tag team of the year? And what do you think of John's choice? Um, well, I, I got I to gotta give it up to John. Because um, <laughs> Tai Chi will be getting no love from me. But, uh, <laughs> so I'm glad he has somebody in this corner uh, that that is uh, extremely credible. Um, but but you know, dangerous checkers, man. Those I gotta give Tachi credit um, in, in terms of stuff he's done in the ring. I think you know, uh, for as much flack as as I give him on this show, um, he he has grown a lot of instances. And when he's another guy that when he wants to turn it on, he can turn it on. You know, he leaves the theatrics. Mm. You know, uh, in the crate, and he he just kind of goes out there and does what he does. And at a certain point, you can really appreciate, you know, uh, what he brings to guys that like Ishii and, and other people. Like, wow, this guy really is a contender when he's not pretending pretending to be a masked pop star. So, um, yeah, that's 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 a good pick for me personally. Um, and I was really happy to see this. And, and like John, I've not seen um, extensively much of. World Tag League, but I did get to see some highlights of that culminated in probably my favorite tag team in Japan, and nobody really than those gorillas of destiny. Um, mm-hmm. They are hands down uh, one of my favorite tag teams to watch. The the fact that they are legit brothers, and for me, being being a long time, sometimes mostly begrudging Impact fan, to see Micah. <laughs> rise uh, from where he was to go to Japan, link up with his brother, and just turn it into something completely different than a tear that these guys have had in Japan, um, kind of running a division at times, being at the bottom, 
um, and going back and forth to get back to where they are now, um, coming back into Japan, you know, with this pandemic and seeing what they do. It was just great to see these guys get back to form and them running into Finjuice, uh, which is another highly uh, celebrated tag team on this show. Um, it's just great. You know, it was just, you know, two, four guys that, you know, hugely deserving coming together to put on, you know, some some great stuff. So, um, yeah, I got to go with the gorillas. I'm still trying to get used to Tom and not having facial hair. Like, it's weird to me. <laughs> I don't think he I'm looks about that. Yeah, he looks about it looks about 10 years younger. He suddenly looks about 22 again. Yeah, it, it's it's weird <laughs> it's, it's to see those guys back in, in rare form. So, yeah. Of course, Gorillas of Destiny avoiding the Buffalo Bills four finals losses in a row. Um, so they, they managed to avoid that, even if they did cheat to win. There you go. Anywho, uh, my tag team of the year, and I, I agree uh, that Dangerous Techers, of course, are a great shout because they were IWGP tag team champions for most of the year. Gorillas of Destiny were the highest-ranked tag team in the pro wrestling... Oh, sorry, the highest-ranked Japanese-based tag team in the Pro Wrestling Illustrated Tag Team Awards this year. They were in fifth place. I did ask the editor why um, Finjuice weren't higher, because they won World Tag League and the IWGP Tag Team Championships, and he told me that it was because um, Finjuice didn't hold the belts long enough, which I disagree with. So I'm making Finjuice my tag team of the year because they got to two World Tag League finals within the space of 12 months. And IWGP Tag Brain, that's not been done before. So my tag team of the year is, uh, well, win one, got a final in the other, and won the tag balls, is Finjuice. Just I, I, very big props to Dangerous Techers as well and to Gorillas of Destiny and, of course, uh, to Golden Ace, who've been you know the four main tag teams in the last 12 months. I think they've been outstanding. But just tag wrestling in New Japan in general, I'd never watched World Tag League before, and I watched every show, and everyone seemed up for it, and the teams were really in it. Toriyano and Tommy Ishii apparently turning up and just entering because, hey, this looks like a laugh, and being one of the most cohesive tag teams in pro wrestling. No one saw that come in. <laughs> it was just brilliant. It was poetry emotion to watch, and I never thought I'd ever say that. But yeah, it was an extent. I think New Japan's really upped its tag game this year. I'm really looking forward to what they come up with next year. But that's my nomination is Finjuice. So we'll move on to the feud of the year. And it's my turn to go first. And this is going to be a rare year where both me and Marcus have given Tai Chi an award. Because my feud of the year is Dangerous Techers versus Golden Ace over the IWGP Tag Team Championships. Because it began the downhill spiral for the Hiroshi Tanahashi Bad D's storyline, which is kind of taking him out of the picture at Wrestle Kingdom, and I have no issue with that. Tanahashi is a big star, and resting him is really important to the brand of New Japan Pro Wrestling. They need him, but not right now, because they need to give younger guys a chance to shine. And to be honest with you, Tanahashi is very realistic. Injury issues has made for a good storyline, in my opinion. I know not everyone agrees with it, but I like the idea that, you know, he's, it's, it's, it's true. He does have dodgy knees. They're nowhere near as bad as they're portraying them, but it gives him a good excuse to take a rest, take a break, 
come further down the card, give NATO a chance to really solidify himself, give people like Evil a chance to break through. And of course, get Kota Ibushi, Kota Ibushi over more at the same time. And that was really important when you consider the run to the Wrestle Kingdom main event that was planned. Ibushi wins the G1 Climax and then gets the main event at Wrestle Kingdom. He needed that rub from Tanahashi and that level of respect from Tanahashi. And I think it really, really worked. And it also got Tai Chi over as a dangerous singles threat. He had a much better G1 because of it. And Zack Sabre Jr. kind of maintained his station. But for me, it was a story that did an awful lot of things in the limited amount of space that was available um, as far as time was concerned. And I think it was the most creative use of the players involved. So for me, that was my feud of the year. John, what's your feud of the year? So I was originally going to put New Japan vs. Common Sense after <laughs> the evil storyline. But no, I've gone with Yoshihiko versus All Out from DDT. Throughout yeah. sort of 2020, DDT did um, these no-fan TV shows, they called them. They would be like weekly, two-week two-hour sort of, well, wrestling shows. And one of the main themes running through it was Yoshihiko trying to kill all the members of All Out. And because of that, it <laughs> led to these amazingly creative matches with Takashita, Katsumata, Ino, all of them members of All Out clashing with the Demon Doll, culminating in the most David Lynchian mind of a sort of cinematic match I've probably ever seen at Wrestling Peter Pan. It it was genuine fun to watch. And the amount of comedic tones, horror tones, deathmatch tones, all just linked to this one feud. Yeah, there was no other choice for me. For those of you who don't know and haven't been following DDT for the last 15 years, Yoshikio is a blow-up sex doll. Marcus, your choice. A transition. <laughs> For me, I'm, I'm, this is going to be stemming off my match of the year. It's, it's going to be Suzuki and Takagi. Um, also because uh. it, it ended up being the thing I didn't even know I wanted, which is, uh, you know, yeah. some of the best things you can get in wrestling. Like, you know, saying Suzuki is a legend goes without saying. Um, but, you know, I think me and you talk about this a lot. So, uh, specifically, you you know that they are just pillars that are in that company. You have now, you know, obviously Okada, Tanahashi's, um, somebody like Ishii and Suzuki is is definitely in that category. And he really is a figure now where he can have multiple titles or or, or just one, but he don't he don't need them. He's he's like the big boss at any any one given time. And like I said, Takagi came in with a lot of momentum, joining Lij and um. I think it did a lot for him as well in terms of shifting the ranks when obviously evil went evil. Um, but, you know, considering he spent most of the year, and it's it's oftentimes awkward for me uh, talking about Takagi because a lot of times it's at the behest of my other guy, Goto. But <laughs> do what he, you know, he's doing, and he, obviously he's basically at one point never openweight king being both the champion and the, and the six-man, but you know, I have noticed, like, I've been kind of, I guess, interested more seeing him climb, like, past that, maybe going to the IC or, better yet, like, the, the heavyweight championship. And I kind of want him to move out of that realm 
and Suzuki coming in the way that he did, and like I said, basically treating Takagi like a young lion and doing what he did and bringing out a whole other side of the guy really, again, brought attention back to that title because it's it, at this point it's basically going to be on the toughest guy in the company. That's basically what the, the title is for. And you're not going to get any tougher than, than, you know, two of these guys just as uh, two examples of that because New Japan is full of some of the toughest SOBs in wrestling, but that match that these guys put on, which was a culmination, uh, one combination on a few because I think they're still going on. But um, just that match, like literally, it hurt to watch, but it was glorious. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, like I said, it's, it's one of those things where you didn't know that you wanted it until, you know, for most people, until they saw that match. And, and just hearing Suzuki with that evil, maniacal laugh when he jumped the Kagi in the back with that chair, it's the worst, best thing. Ever. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. Long live the king. Okay, we move on to our next nomination, promotion of the year. We'll start with John. Who's your promotion of the year, John? Because you're more likely to have a wider scope than me and Marcus. Well, mine is probably one most people have never heard of, and that is Gator Moves Chocker Pro Wrestling. It's a... <laughs> they do... I like, have. <laughs> they do, like, multiple weekly sort of little hour-long wrestling shows from a single-room studio on a mat that often has a lot of comedy shenanigans, but they bring in, like, really big names and then sometimes just put on, like, exceptionally high-quality matches. It's a lot of fun, a lot of sort of inside jokes, and there's genuinely some really decent wrestlers coming up through it because you've got Balianaki as the ace, you've got Mesa Ruga, who's now breaking into TJPW, you've got just all sorts of, People training, wrestling, having fun under the watchful eye of Emi Sakura. And as I've started reviewing it, there's just so much going on under the surface as well. It's really fun. Yeah. uh, The best booker in AEW isn't Tony Khan or Cody Rhodes or Kenny Omega. It's actually Emi Sakura because she could make a wrestling company out of some sticky back plastic and some cardboard. And it would be better than anything you've ever seen. That's my opinion. I will live and die by that. There is a hill I'm likely to die on. Uh, Marcus, who is your promotion of the year? Yeah, for me, um, you know, we could talk all the live long day about, you know, um, how amazing it is what, what New Japan has been able to execute in terms of putting on shows and and all these tournaments and matches, you know, with a halved roster and obviously, you know, almost burning both ends of the, the candle, if you will, will continuing to hold their foot in Japan while expanding into America. But to me, in a year, like I said, that's felt like um, it's damn near been booked with, with Russo logic, with McMahon vindictiveness. Um, <laughs> um, just the sheer class at which the company handled this pandemic out of the gate. Um, putting not only its own performers and 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 foundation, um, the protection of it first, but ex- extending that to other companies and just the teamwork, um, in, in which they you know the bounce they went to to do that, it was just class personified. And uh, you know we could talk about you know the ups and downs how we feel about the booking all day, but I thought 
that specifically. They they set a tone for the industry at the top of the year when they did that, and it was it was beautiful to see when when things in the industry that is oftentimes competitive, sometimes in certain instances more so than it needs to be. Um, just that unity, you know, just you know, for these performers because it's it's a lot, you know, when when a lot of guys mm. are back and forth between America and, and Japan and just trying to make stuff work. It's not easy. And we know things are a lot of times as an American, things are a lot different in Japan and they all over here in terms of, you know, uh, just how, you know, things work, you know, so for them to, like I said, set a standard in the way that they did and follow, you know, like I said, they, you know, they shows for a lot of people suffered for it. Uh, not for me because, you know, I think these, these kind of things put you in a corner creatively and, and can sometimes bring out the best, uh, and, and things and people. So, uh, yeah, I just, I just got to give a nod to, to the company just for that alone. I have to agree. I think, I think all the Japanese companies have worked really, really hard. And as the years gone on, uh, the presentation from all of them has kind of led the way in what you can and can't do. Even if you go back to those early empty arena shows from stardom and from new Japan and from Noah, they were doing it right. They were making noise to make, they were making noise against their opponents. Like you watch some of those empty arena impact shows and they're just making noise for the sake of making noise and talking to an audience that isn't there. Whereas the new Japan guys were wrestling each other and making noise and no guys were and stardom girls were, they, they got the whole concept of empty arena shows much better than the American counterparts did. And I think it shows like, like John said, like Chocker pro, which is small studio working off mat, no ring shows. They're used to that, make things entertaining with a minimal audience. And I think it's worked better for them. New Japan shows have been much more interesting to watch and Noah shows have been much more interesting to watch and the small companies have as well. Just because they're, I hate to say the word better wrestlers, but their style of wrestling goes over to a, a TV audience easier, I think. Because the language barrier isn't the the verbal barrier isn't so necessary, if that makes sense. You don't need to explain stuff with Japanese wrestling. It all just kind of happens in front of you. Um, my promotion of the year is New Japan Pro Wrestling um, because it's the one thing I've watched the most and the thing I've enjoyed the most. Not that other wrestling has been bad in Japan, it hasn't, but New Japan has captured my attention and I have literally watched everything they've done this year except for the house shows. But I have watched every tournament they've done. We've done, what did I do? I did the the G1. I did the World Tag League, Best of Super Juniors. Out of the seven tournaments they had, I watched all seven. I watched six of the seven. I didn't bother with um, Super J Cup because I just couldn't. <laughs> I, just, I wrestled myself out for the week. But literally, I've watched all, everything they've done this year. And I've thoroughly enjoyed all of it. And it's got me through... Uh, a particularly awful year where things I've been stuck at home and not been able to do the things I wanted to do. So that has been really important for me. So we'll move on to Marcus. What's your nomination for comeback of the year? Uh, for me, this was an interesting one, but I think um, for, for just looking at, I guess, the grand scheme of, you know, where it was, the way it's, uh, going to, um, I gotta give comeback of the year to Kota Ibushi. Um, yeah, he started the year um, main eventing Wrestle Kingdom and failing 
to attain the IWGP Heavyweight Title, and basically that 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 knocks you to the bottom of the of the, of the pecking order. Um, but mm. for him, it just uh, you know motivated him even more, and you know he went on to have a, a magnificent G one. I think only taking what a couple losses in that. Um, yeah. And then going on to to win it um, for the second year in a row, making him like with only only the third man in the company to do that. And now he, once again, even with a huge hurdle coming in, the form of Jay White, um, looks looks you know for the fourth time to be the charm, uh, and and you know he gets one more shot to do it. Like I said, you know many shows ago. There was never going to be a, a more straight path for him to go after and finally sit at the top of the New Japan throne than when Kenny Omega left. And, you know, that's that's basically been, you know, his narrative in, in New Japan. So to see him get to the top, be knocked off, and then strive to get back, which hopefully we, we see him finally get the crown, depending on how things go. Um, yeah, I, I got I to gotta give it to him. He's, he's put on some phenomenal matches. He's a phenomenal competitor if not reckless sometimes having people worried about his uh safety with his uh his concussion uh believability in terms of what he does in that ring but um yeah he's a he's a hell of a guy yes i would agree with you absolutely and i think it's been an outstanding year for him john who's your nominations for comeback of the year See, now that I've heard that, it kind of makes me realise I was looking at this sort of nomination wrong. Because <laughs> when I try to think of comebacks of the year, I couldn't, like, focus on one person or one company. And I just wrote the whole of wrestling. Because to come back from such a sort of devastating blow of having, like, three to four months where you couldn't even have people in the building at all to these sort of half audience, socially distant shows, and the fact that the sort of Japanese wrestling system just seems to be coping so much better than any other like wrestling system in like the US, in the UK, in Europe. Like they managed to pull off the sort of biggest comeback in terms of just getting their industry back on track. Like it's not perfect by any stretch, but they seem to be having a bit of an easier time with it. Yeah, that's the most reasonable. Uh, my comeback of the year um, features a wrestler I never thought I'd ever give an award to ever again, and that's Kiyaji Muto. Because at the beginning of the year, um, Wrestle One went out of business. He was pretty much done. His company was no more. The entire idea of Mutoism, uh, if if there is such a thing, um, was dead in the water. His roster was casted to the winds, and he became a freelancer for the first time in seven years and made appearances for various different companies. He's kind of semi-retired. And then last month, Go Shiyazaki defends his champion his defends his global honor crown championship against Sigiara in a 50-minute belter. And at the end of the match, when Go Shiyazaki's won and gives his I Am Noah promo, 58-year-old Kiyeji Muto comes out and challenges him for the Global Honor Crown Championship. 
at Budokan Hall in February. Kiyeji Muto, at the age of 58, is going to headline Budokan Hall for the Global Overcrown Championship. And no one in their right mind would have said that at the beginning of 2020. So that's my comeback of the year. Because <laughs> it doesn't really get much bigger than that, does it? <laughs> so, mom- moment of the year. John, what is your moment of the year? So I'm going back to my um, feud of the year, and it's the culmination of the Yoshihiko versus All Out feud, where um, <laughs> Akashita literally blows up Yoshihiko on the roof of some apartment building, taking the mick out of the Boneyard match. It's it's just hilarious. And it's that match is still with me after reviewing it so many months ago. It's like, yep, yeah, that, that's got to be moment of the year. Just, it was so funny. <laughs> Marcus, what's your moment of the year? Uh, for me, uh, I, I got to give it to Tetsuya Naito. Um, I'm not even that big of a, of a Naito fan. I mean, he's the leader at LIJ, and he's not even my favorite person in LIJ. But uh, <laughs> but uh, the, the the man is, uh, you know, he's a hell of a guy. You know, he's, he's building this legend. And, uh, you know, we, we've had so many conversations across so many shows about the, the beauty and, and tragedy at times of the story of, of Tessigo Naito's journey. Uh, being the top guy in New Japan and you know it was getting to a point there where it was like are they gonna wait too long to pull the trigger on this guy finally or if at all and he finally got to you know where he he knocked off Ogata and 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 not only won the IWGP heavyweight but you know uh held the IC title at the same time and the first guy to do that and uh you know it, it was a moment you know, you oftentimes don't necessarily see those kind of things in New Japan because they have a standard that they don't necessarily have to deviate from because, as you know, we know the old adage, if it's not broke, you don't need to fix it. You know, they mm. want something new here, and regardless of how, you know, it's turned out, uh, uh, if they need to go ahead and, and switch back to that that regular schedule standard, um, it, it's been a hell of a thing to watch this guy do what he's done um, his way. Uh, which is which is classic Naito, um, and yeah, it, it was just a, it was a hell of a moment, you know. I think so as well. I think it was a long payoff. I don't know a lot of Naito fans who waited so long and had given up hope, and it wasn't going to happen as well. I mean, you could have arguably given him uh, comeback of the year as well for like going into Wrestle Kingdom as the afterthought entrant and coming out with both belts. Uh, you know, he, he was a guy who was, he wasn't forgotten about. He was really massively popular, but it wasn't his moment yet. And they finally pulled the trigger on it. And I have to agree with you. It was the great moment of 2020, though my nomination is slightly different and happened slightly earlier on January the 5th. And that was when John Moxley defeated Finn Juice for the IWGP US Heavyweight Championship and turned to the crowd and looked up into the lights and Cozy Nina Ray hit and there was this hushed gasp from the 60,000 or 45,000 people in attendance and Minoru Suzuki came down the aisle 
and everyone started seeing Cozy Ninare. And Suzuki stands at the top of the ramp with the big smile on his face. So you know somebody's in trouble and then takes his trousers off because he's just that angry. And that that was it for me. That was pro wrestling for me in 2020. <laughs> Minoru Suzuki just taking his tracksuit bottoms off and stamping them off because he's pissed. And he goes and beats up John Moxley and it was the most satisfying thing I have seen in pro wrestling all year. And that was my moment of the year. He's made it sound uh, like the world's kinkiest striptease. Um, to some people, it may well have been, John. It <laughs> may well have been. <laughs> uh, we move on next to the manager slash valet of the year. I'm going to start with John. Who are your thoughts on your manager slash valet of the year? There didn't seem to be that many options for this when I was thinking of it originally. I was sort of trying to think, like, who in Japanese wrestling really has, like, a manager or a valet? It's like, you've got the factions in all these companies, yeah, but they're they're all really, like, active competitors. They're not just sort of valets. So in the end, mm. I just went with Dick Togo because he's literally been garroting people. <laughs> it's just like, yes. I, I'm always yeah. happy to see more people being garroted with piano wire in wrestling matches. Sure. I, I think, really, he's... Uh, yeah, I mean, you got Jado and Gado for their respective charges, and arguably Jado probably was the most successful of the three with a World Tag League win and an IWGP Junior Heavyweight... Sorry, IWGP Tag Team Championship under his belt. Um, and... Jeddo hasn't won anything with Jay White, whereas Evil has won the double championship with Dick Togo. So, yeah, I can see your point there. That's a perfectly reasonable thing. He is the highest profile of the managers in Japan. Uh, mine was another Bullet Club valet, and that was Peter, just because Yujiro is far less interesting without her, and it's been a gaping hole in his shtick that he needs to fix. Okay. <laughs> It's not that Peter is, obviously, she is a sexually alluring character. It's not that, but she's far more interesting than Yujiro is and actually adds depth to his character. And I miss her greatly. I hope she's back soon. Marcus, what's your thoughts on manager slash ballet of the year? Well, I'm glad you spoke on Peter because she was going to be an honorable mention for me. Um, <laughs> you know, like, all our lives are far less interesting along with Yujiro's uh, without me. <laughs> Uh, specifically with this year, but getting to mine, and this is purely uh, like um, James said at the beginning of the thing. Some, some, some of these picks are just uh, stuff that just tickles our fancy. I and mean, what tickles my fancy when it comes to Jay White matches is watching Ghetto try to interfere and get his block knocked off. <laughs> when it's against Okada because at this point after everything they've been through he has a sixth sense for when that man is on the apron when he is behind him or anything else <laughs> nobody looks better um, uh, trying to attempt a low blow failing to get the low blow and then getting low blow themselves then get off so for being basically my visual crash test dummy <laughs> of, of, of <laughs> I got to give it the uh, ghetto. So we're talking a bullet club queen sweep then. Yep. The three managers, three of the four managers of bullet club take the trophies. Poor Jado, his efforts are for none. Master Heater will have to try harder next year. 
And our final category in the Asian Awards is the Akira Hokuto Tough Old Bastard Award, which I am going to give to Hiroshi Tanahashi, who has worked like he always does most of the year injured, still looks amazing, and is purposefully downgrading himself to give other people room to grow, which I think is really important to the growth of New Japan Pro Wrestling. He understands his position on the card. He's not quite at Kojima levels yet, but he's got to do something to keep himself relevant while still allowing other people to grow. His uh, World Tag League run with Henry. Henry's was a good example of that, actually. Henry carried the show. He got pinned in most of the matches, but he had one or two. He had one big win, um, and that did did him no end of good. Henry, Henry looks like a capable grappler who could move up the card and wants a crack at Shingo Takagi and who can blame him? I think he'd be a good opponent for Shingo Takagi. I think that'd be a lot of fun. But yeah, Hiroshi Tanahashi has been there or thereabouts all year long and uh, has worked his way through injury greatly. So I think Hiroshi deserves that award. Marcus, who's your thoughts on this particular award? It's absolutely not, not at any time. I can argue with anything um, in terms of giving credit to, to the legendary Hiroshi Tanahashi. Uh, for me, uh, I'm, I'm going to go um, down because, like I said, Hiroshi is just God tier. Uh, but for me, <laughs> this is uh, this is a guy who basically could come in this category, probably uh, at least top five every year with this, if not top three. Um, and, and that's um, Tomohiro Ishii. Um, yeah. And he's a pillar in this company. He's a pillar in wrestling. Um, the rate he's been going all these years uh, and holding the standard that he has as an in-ring performer is second to none. Um, and particularly in this G1, this man has given, but specifically taken some shots that have made me pause the video and reset my own. <laughs> <laughs> because it, it was just, it, it, it sounded off like a cannon. And the way he sold being, you know, uh, knocked out or what had what have you, and coming back and, and getting victories because, I you know, it's it felt like he's gotten a lot more victories this year, which is always great to see. Um, but, yeah, you know, you, you talk about tough, and you're going to get uh, several photos from the New Japan <laughs> and a picture of Goto's, uh, not Goto, but uh, Ishii looking like that stone face football is, is cemented. So that's, that's my pick. I, I can't disagree. Uh, I think Yishi's had a great year. I will personally put uh, a shout-out for his match with Jay White on the last night of the G1, which was my favorite singles match of the year. Uh, White needs the win to get to the tournament final, and Ishii just takes it away from him because he can. And that's, <laughs> that was outstanding. Um, John, is your thoughts for uh, Tough Old So-and-So Award? See, I went with uh, Ryuji Ito. Again, had to pick, give it to a deathmatch guy. Ito <laughs> started the era with the BJW deathmatch title. He had some great showings against the GCW crew for their crossover tour in January. He had a bloodbath against Minari Fujita. He's just been carry, helping to sort of bolster BJW continuously with Kobayashi through tag matches, through deathmatches, you name it. And yeah, Ito still moves great, looks great, and I don't think anything can kill him. That that's that seems like a reasonable idea for a, an award given entirely on toughness. 
can't die. I like it. <laughs> right then, we now move on to our North American categories, which have equally been slim on the ground. But we've got our usual array of things to talk about. And I'm going to start with John, because he finished the Japanese categories. What is your match of the year in North America, John? I have two. I have got Ricky Shane Page versus Nick Gage from GCW's Run Ricky Run, and I've got Matt Tremont versus Ricky Shane Page from the last extravaganza weekend. Both of which mm. have just been top quality death matches, with Ricky Shane Page being the world's greatest heel again in yeah, just storytelling masterclasses. The Gage match was for the GCW title, which Ricky Shane Page stole, then won in a very arseholeish way and has been Gordon Gage with. And the match against Tremont was Tremont's retirement match, and it was every bit as emotional, bloody, and barbaric as you'd want. Well, there you go. I can't say as much on that because GCW, I have liked a lot of the GCW stuff. I haven't watched all of it. However, my nomination does come from a GCW show, um, but it's a different kind of match, so we'll talk about that in a moment because we'll go to Marcus Green. What is your North American match of the year? Uh, for me, uh, this is going to be a rarity because uh, this company really doesn't deserve any uh, audible recognition, but there was one thing this year particularly that I thought was... Uh, well executed, and that was the ladder match for the Intercontinental Championship at Night of Champions between Sami Zayn, AJ Styles, and Jeff Hardy. Um, like I said, it's it's one of the the rare quality matches from WWE this calendar year, and uh, <laughs> it felt the stuff that the, the execution of things and the innovative moves and spots. It actually felt fresh. And, and a match that has been, you know, really kind of overutilized in a lot of instances in, in the company. Um, not only did a lot of the moves and spots feel fresh, but uh, the IC strap felt important, and it put a spotlight on a long, now over, underutilized character in Sami Zayn, who uh, won and retained his uh, strap after having a prolonged absence. So. Uh, yeah, it was a hell of a match, and if there was one thing to go back and watch this year from that company, I'd, I'd say that that would be uh, one match to do so. Fair enough. Uh, my nomination also comes from a GCW show, the Bloodsport. Oh, sorry, Josh Barnett's Bloodsport show uh, at the Collective shows that me and Chelsea looked at early in the year. And just because it was so different, and it was a good story, and it was well told, and I love both wrestlers very, very much. That'd be Lindsay Snow versus Sienna in the women's tournament final. I think all three women's matches on that card were great, but the tournament final had the two most seasoned pros on it. They told an exceptional story, and I just love the way it was presented. You don't get women's wrestling like that in North America very much. So for me, it was great to watch these two really go at it in like a shoot-style environment. And for me, it was just perfect. I think all three of our nominations are kind of fair. and They do represent our taste very much more so than the Japanese nominations. <laughs> but there you go. So, Wrestler of the Year. Then, Marcus, who is your Wrestler of the Year? For me, I got to give it to um, John Moxley. Um, mm. You know, for what he's been able to do 
um, it's just been so refreshing to see him, you know, be unshackled, if you will, and, and finally uh, having some creative freedom and, and shooting out to New Japan, uh, which hopefully we, we get some type of resolvement with that uh, soon. Uh, but specifically as running AEW as AEW champion, you know, the persistence that he's had in terms of, you know, maintaining a level of quality in his matches, staying consistent in terms of defending that championship, as well as fighting um, a lot of hurdles. Because I think, you know, he's ran into some issues with Corona and whatnot. I think there may have been something with him and, and his lovely wife and um, getting through those instances and, and still coming back and defending his championship in some brutal matches um, against some some real uh, top competitors and, and remaining good in the ring and on the mic and just a real point of of consistency in that company in a year that is anything but you know he's a hell of a guy and it's really great to see him reach the potential that we always knew he had uh when he was in wwe so yeah i i completely agree i think moxley has been he's been the face of the company which is what you want your heavyweight champion to be and try to do something different with his wrestling career and has gone shown great depth and I, I completely agree with you though my pick is something entirely different my pick for the rest of the year is Jordan Grace because she's had a run with the knockouts championship in impact wrestling but her presence in wrestling as a leader and how to present yourself um and how to pre- present the business she's constantly fought for women's rights and for women's rights in wrestling She's gone out of her way to be a good example as a pro wrestler and lead her lead the way. And I think that deserves recognition. It's not because she's had a great wrestling year, though she has. And I think she's been one of the most compelling things on Impact Wrestling. But she also has shown a lot of maturity and depth in the way she presents women's wrestling, which I think has been missing and she kind of encapsulates a lot of things that happened for me in the way wrestling's been presented in 2020. And I'm very glad to see her do cool stuff. So that's my wrestler of the year. John, yeah. your wrestler of the year. Yeah, I, I love both choices you guys have gone for. Moxley, standout year, excellent hardcore matches, technical matches, just the guys done it all. John Grace, great figurehead for any company, how to present yourself. Mm incredible wrestler can't take a joke but that's <laughs> mad Kurt for you I have uh, gone for Alex Colon a standout deathmatch wrestler standout technical wrestler he won tournament survival two years in a row winning TOS 5 in either October or November and yeah he's just continuously put on high quality matches all year well that you can wrestle. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, I think again, this is going to reflect our um, personal taste because again, there's more diversity in um, in the North American wrestling business, and so therefore, we're going to come up with different answers just because there's more things to pick from, even though there's been less wrestling, which is just the way things are. John, you can then go to your feud, oh sorry, tag team of the year. See, this one's a bit different for me because obviously 
like GCW doesn't have much in the way of a tag team scene, neither does ICW or many of the deathmatch companies, but one tag team that did continuously keep my interest all year and managed to tell a story with their team, considering that like almost sort of cobbled together origins was Kenny Omega and Hangman Adam Page. Mm. Interesting I, I, choice. I've loved the sort of story they told between the two of them from sort of being cobbled together to being champions to drinking problems to falling apart. And it's it's just been really compelling viewing. They had excellent matches against friends and foes alike. And yeah, just as tag team wrestling goes, they've been one of the sort of standouts this year. Okay, Marcus, what's your choice for tag team of the year? Uh, for me... Um, and it feels good to say I could get pick from Impact Wrestling here. Um, I got to give it to the North. Um, they have uh, become one of my favorite things to watch in the company, uh, specifically with all, Etho, all ego Ethan Page. Um, like when he first debuted in the company, I think he was <laughs> Joseph Park's assistant. Or something to that nature. And yeah, he was uh, he was a Park nephew or Joseph Park's nephew. Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah, something to that uh, degree. And uh, he was entertaining. Uh, but uh, once that kind of went through, he eventually, I guess, went on to be a pupil of Matt Seidel, and he was absolutely missable in that uh, <laughs> particular run. And then. Something happened, Sadea obviously uh, left, and he, something clicked, and he turned it on, and he linked up with Josh Alexander, and everything just fell into place. You know, he really turned his charisma to, you know, to the nth degree um, that's only uh, held up in a, in a unique way to Josh's straight man, if you will, and they, they have just put on some great matches um, and really set a standard in that company again as you know reliable and hard-hitting and you know in the advent that that was left or the hole if you would i was kind of left when lex um went on to AEW. they they've done great to not only elevate themselves but that division and keep a standard and you know those guys are just entertaining on every level so um even though it seems like they are um dividing right now um they, they've been just great to see uh, I'm in that company, so I got to give it to them. I'm glad you mentioned them. I do love the North. Yeah. They would have been like number two for me. So it's oh, they're so damn good. Yeah. Who'd have thought? Who'd have thought allowing a wrestler to use the persona he had in his indie career would make him better? <laughs> Anywho, my tag team of the year is the North. For all the reasons Marcus said. Uh, no, I do love the North. I think. Uh, AEW's bizarrely, though they're the home of tag team wrestling and have had some great tag team matches, haven't necessarily stood out the way they perhaps should have done with great tag team runs. And there's reasons for that, because they've got a lot of tag teams for a start, so it's a struggle to get traction. But also, the story arcs that they've had have been long-term tales, which has been great and is really, really good. I mean, FDR have had good runs. The Bucks have had a good run. You know, all of these tag teams that they've got are fantastic. Um, But the North have been consistent 
match getters and they've been consistent performers and they're entertaining and all of these things that all of the teams in AEW are but haven't been every week because they haven't had a chance to be every week. Um, I am starting to think AEW should stop signing people <laughs> because it's getting to the point of they haven't got like room for everyone to breathe and yeah. I think that's a bit of an issue. But we'll see. But yes, my nomination is the North. And that's our first outright winner where we've all, well, two out of three of us agreed, I think, on this. I'm not sure. Can't remember. Yeah, yeah, I think it is. Oh, no, no, the promotion of the year in Asia. So, yeah, so it's it's a diverse award system this year. Feud of the year. I'll start with feud of the year. My feud of the year was Diona Parazzo versus Jordan Grace of the Impact Knockouts Championship. Only a couple of matches, but they were great matches. And it kind of reestablished that championship as the championship in women's wrestling in North America. It was two great wrestlers having great wrestling matches and trying to prove who was the best, which is exactly what that championship needed. Simple stories told well with great wrestlers. And uh, to the guy who claimed that Diana Perrazzo's double armbar was unrealistic, Zack Sabre Jr. has been doing it for the last three years, so screw you. John. My feud of the year is 440 versus everyone. I don't think <laughs> I've seen quite the sort of hatred for a group in wrestling in quite some time, especially indie wrestling. Like these guys are universally hated. Ricky Shane Page and his gang of green clad goons all bring this sort of special energy with them wherever they go. They've got feuds going in No Peace, in H2O, in ICW, in GCW. And even further afield, they just, everywhere they go, they find a way to either piss someone off or get hated. You've got Eddie only trash-talking everyone in his sort of redneck way. Ricky Shane Page being the most dickheaded heel on the planet. Atticus Koga just wanting to murder everyone. It's, it's all so well-crafted. <laughs> and it, it's just it shows no sign of stopping like hell Atticus Koga just started a feud with deathmatch legend Masada over the right to skewer people in the head it's it's so cool <laughs> Parkus, what's your feud of the year oh this is this is fun hearing these picks but uh, but again great minds kind of link up in this regard I too yeah oh. uh, Picked Deanna Perrazzo and Jordan Grace. Um, it has been truly amazing to see Deanna come in and, and do what she's done after the debacle that became Tessa Blanchard, the Tessa Blanchard experiment, <laughs> awesome. and everything that ended up happening, unfortunately, with that. But for her to come in the way that she did, coming off of her WWE run, um, and like so many, being creatively stifled and wanting to break out and um, into their own level of greatness and for impact again, uh, even with, with their faults, allowing her the freedom to really build this virtuoso character in in every way and go at Jordan the way that she did and, and had a match that they had, which, you know, to me um, had a had a unique quality about the, about them that was that really made them captivating to watch and Jordan. Uh, is just she's another standard in, in terms of, of women's wrestling and, and specifically in that company. And it's good to see that she stayed there and, and continues to stay there and, you know, really 
made Deanna earn it in, in terms of taking that championship off her. And, uh, yeah, it was just something great to see. And then specifically with the women, you know, Impact kind of gets on the look, but they have a great women's division um, and, and been doing some great stuff and continue to do so. But those two, they uh, they really set a bar this year. So, you know. Yeah. Like yeah. I think, I mean, I think that you'd be right to mention the Tessa Blanchard stuff is like, uh, she's not done her future career prospects any good, considering the fact that they weren't going to be great anyway once the racism allegations surfaced again, um, which we all knew were out there anyway, and then holding your company to ransom because you don't want to leave your boyfriend's house is not the way to make friends nor influence people. And so that that kind of did that. But Deanna Perrazzo and Jordan Grace were the kind of palate cleansers to that. And it's nice to see that they let Jordan Grace go after the men's championships the same way that Blanchard had done in a similar manner. Whether they pull the trigger on her winning the X Division or heavyweight championships, I don't know. That might be down the line. But I think she'd have the gravitas to pull both championships off myself. Um, So, uh, yeah. To me, uh, that was that. You know, I agree with you. So there we are. That's 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 again two for. Okay then. So we'll go on to promotion of the year, and that will be Marcus first. What is your promotion of the year, sir? Uh for me, I didn't think I'd say this, but I kind of lo- went back and looked at everything that had been done and and stuff, and uh, I got to give it to. Even though they don't necessarily have all things together, and I'm not really a huge bandwagon person when it comes to them, I got to give it to AEW. Uh, they had a task to pull off um, because they they are essentially the new hotness, if you will, on the block when it when it comes to you know uh, the landscape of wrestling. And you know they've you know obviously been trying to establish themselves, and they had it basically their year set up. And like everybody else, they got knocked off by COVID, and they had to readjust and pivot. And for them to pull off things that that they did with that. Um, that stadium match, however people want to, you know, judge that stadium match, the, a lot of the debuts that they had, um, the fact that we are now at a point in 2020 where we say Sting is back, which, which is yeah, um, and, and just little stuff along the way. Like they, like you said, it, it feels like a lot of times they got more people than they know what to do with um, and, and can tighten stuff up in a lot of different ways. But for them to pivot the way that they have and still put on, um, compelling, entertaining television, and you know, consistently in a lot of ways. Uh, yeah, I, I got, I got to tip my hat to them. You know, uh, I have to agree with you. My nomination is also AEW, just because they've put together a more consistently professional wrestling, consistent professional wrestling show. Because they feel a bit bigger than Impact Wrestling, they have the big names on commentary. The wrestling looks new, it looks fresh, it's well-produced, there's money behind it. Not that there isn't behind Impact, the other American show that I've watched, but it feels like a more complete product and they've done more complete things. There are big gaping holes. Akira Shida should have 20 minutes to herself every week. Um, but, you know, I'd like to see more emphasis on the women. I don't mean it doesn't mean hire more women, just give the women you've got more time. They're women's champion tag team tournament. It was one of the best things happened in wrestling this year. And no one saw it because it was on a YouTube channel. Get that stuff sorted. Put more stuff on TV that's worth watching. Uh, Because AEW Dark is a cool show. 
but you you there's so much stuff that happens on it. It's like watching New Japan pay-per-views every week. Um, so I'm not complaining when I say all of that stuff. There's things they need to tweak, but actually a consistent show that's watchable and that's the kind of thing I want to see in a North American show is is it's AEW for me. And there's plenty of wrestlers I enjoy in AEW more than I do in Impact Wrestling. John, your thoughts on your promotion of the year. So we're still not going to get a three out of three agreement because AEW would have been my number, either two or three pick, because they're, <laughs> they're really fun to watch. They've got a stacked roster. Their their shows are really fun. Their pay per views are always usually really well done when you're not dropping people on their head and continuing matches. But it's like it's a show I want to watch with AEW. They've taken the sort of weekly television slot and they're kind of dominating it at the moment and forcing everyone else around them to up the ante but my promotion of the year goes to icw no holds barred they started this year this year with an exceptional card which featured loki versus masashi takeda and then covid hit and they've sort of taken the the covid era death match circuit to new levels they've got pit fighter shows they they do about two shows a month and they're always really good. They've made new stars. They've helped all the stars find places again. They're just continuously sort of bringing entertainment, violence, and like top quality gore fests to sort <laughs> of a year that needed some sort of blood pumping into it since we're all turning into vegetables in our houses. That's that's sort of, that's the, one of the most poetic nominations I've ever heard, John. I was. Yeah. Um, right then. Uh, comeback of the year. Uh, John, we'll start with you. So this, again, shock and horror, deathmatch world. G-Raver <laughs> made, made his successful return to wrestling over the last couple of months. He um, won the lawsuit against Jim Cornette over the stupid, petty clownet insult that Jim Cornette thought he could then sell on himself like an idiot and yeah since his return he's had a few nice matches back he's changed his style up a bit he's no longer working with light tubes and he set Jimmy Lloyd on fire I well that, yeah. that, that's an eventful year that really <laughs> oh this was only <laughs> about two months I think he oh, came okay. back in, yeah he came back at the end of October since then, he's murdered Eddie Ornley and set Jimmy Lloyd on fire. That, that's packing it in, you have to say. Uh, Marcus, your comeback of the year. Yeah, I don't uh, know if I can uh, com- com- compete with that in terms of uh, <laughs> uh, the you know the fire aesthetic. But for me, and I think it's going to be a really interesting pick, I'm... Uh, looking forward to hearing you guys take on it. This isn't going to an individual, but it's going to the entire company that is Ring of Honor. Um, I was completely, absolutely checked out of everything Ring of Honor. I didn't care what was going on. I mean, you got a company with all (laughs) the gunk that they had in, in the news and whatnot, and uh, honestly, just the fact that they employed Bully Ray was enough to have me checked out. 
honestly. But uh, with those two things and, and just really them kind of felt like they was just kind of shuffling, uh, trying to find themselves. Um, you know, it, it just really wasn't in, anything relevant to, to watch. But then uh, it felt like they did a bit of a self-check and they came back with the Ring of Honor Pure Tournament. And that was probably one of the best things besides most of what I watched in New Japan that I saw in wrestling all year. Mm. Um, it, it, it was some really great stuff, and it got over a lot of names, the young guys that are coming up and can really be uh, movers and shakers in that company, and, and it feels like you know they're, they're getting back to a bit of the things that put them on the map in the first place. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I got to give it to them. You know, I didn't expect that from Ring of Honor, but I, I can proudly say that I'm, I'm back watching their, their TV and enjoying it. I would I would agree. Like twelve months ago, twelve months ago they seemed like a pretty reasonable company. We were doing cool things, and then about ten months ago everything fell apart. And then eight months later they suddenly got their heads back on. Real, hey, we'd best make a TV show now. And all of a sudden it's back on track again. And I completely agree with you. I don't think you're going to get the Ring of Honor of all because the roster's too far gone. But I think they are going to be a much more vital looking company. It was almost as if, hey, we got to Madison Square Garden and then the wheels fell off of everything within the space of a month. And me and you and Alex talked about it and, and Chelsea at the time when they went to MSG and they did some really stupid stuff. And we mm. were like, and lo and behold, within a year, they were in the shitter. And they, they did manage to get it back, but they had to clear out a load of dead wood to get there. So I think you're absolutely right with that. It's a good call. My comeback of the year... I've got two nominations. I couldn't separate them. The easy one is the most seat machine guns. You know, Alex Shelley and Chris Saban coming back to Impact Wrestling is outstanding, and they have been absolutely bang on form all the way through. Uh, but you could also say Alex Shelley in general, uh, reforming the time splitters and the motor seat machine guns in WWE and in Impact Wrestling within the space of 12 months is an absolutely outstanding achievement for him. But I'm also going to nominate the Rock and Roll Express because in 2019, they were in the NWA Crockett Cup, went out in the first round, and then were NWA World Tag Team Champions at the start of 2020. Uh, and it went through the year for them when they were able to wrestle Ricky Morton versus Joey Janela at Spring Break. That match Just- was amazing. Yeah, it's it's like it's 1988 all over again. <laughs> uh, Ricky and Robert are still a vital tag team, and they were both kind of semi-retired three years ago. Ricky Morton said he would never challenge for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship again. I think it was three years ago, and he looked ready to go and could have another go. They appeared on AEW television. Ricky Morton pulling out Canadian destroyers. At the age of 64. How you just can't make this stuff up. So that's a double nomination for two of the greatest tag teams of all time the Motor City Machine Guns and the Rock and Roll Express. Absolutely. Our next category, our next category is most improved wrestler. Marcus, I'm gonna start with you. For me, uh yeah, I gotta I gotta go back to impact. Great picks, by the way, for for um comeback. Um for me, I I'm We'll give it to a, a, a name that probably not a lot of people would expect, but I've been watching as, as a long-time Impact fan. I've been watching this guy rise this year. 
even though he's been recently been knocked off his perch, I gotta give most improved to uh, one Rohit Raju. Yeah. Yeah, Rohit is a guy that I didn't didn't another guy I didn't see coming. Um, obviously he was affiliated with the Desi Hit Squad, and when that kind of fell through, um, he really could have been lost in the shuffle, and 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 really drowned honestly. But he rose to the occasion. Um, and, and probably turned into one of my favorite things to watch on the show um, in terms of not only his character, but uh, in terms of watching what he's done in the ring. And the division champion, yeah, he, he really has been like a like a bright spot this year in that, in that company. And the fact that he had to run into the unfortunate hurdle, uh, that is TJP. Um, that aside, um, yeah, he, he really is one of those guys that I hope they continue to, to, to put in some real great positions because he's a guy that um, can really take a, any ball that they give him and run with it. So, yeah, I, I, I got to give it to Rohit. He's impressed me very much. John, what's your... Insanely good. He's yeah. insanely entertaining. What's your nomination, John? See, originally I was going to use this as a sort of breakout award, but Sort of just thinking on it, I'm going to give this award to Jordan Oliver, who at the start of sort of 2020 was kind of your generic sort of heel sort of guy in MLW. He was lightweight, flippy, a lot of attitude. Now he's bulked up a bit and his like in ring work's improved tremendously. He's still got the same attitude, but he's got more to back it up now. He's just been really fun to watch. He, he looks like he's going to have a feud with Simon Gotch in MLW. It's just, it's going to be fun. And I'm, it's nice to see him sort of diversify a bit. Well, that's cool. I like that. Uh, my most improved wrestler isn't necessarily any better than he was a year ago. It's just the world has finally caught up with him. And it's more of the rest of the world improving to appreciate the one, the only, the Mad King, Eddie Kingston, who's had an outstanding year. And it's not that he's any better than he was in 2019. It's just that he's got a much bigger platform to do it from. And I think that deserves recognition. He has got better, amazingly. But his pacing, his timing, his mic work has been absolutely where he needed it to be in the biggest moments of his career. A year ago, he was on NWA TV and he was tagging with Hernandez, um, sorry, Homicide, against some of the lower tag teams and looked like a star doing it. And he looked like an old-school NWA guy. And he walked into AEW to Chaddy Cody Rhodes to the TNT Championship and walked out with a job. This is exactly what he needed to do. He's always been a star. He's always been a main eventer in anyone's mind. And he finally got the chance to prove it this year. I got lucky and got to see Eddie Kingston at the at, in February when he was at North Wrestling in Newcastle and oh man it was amazing he fought Rory Coyle in a sort of street fight type match and oh, the way that man commands a room is just next level I, I'm so glad that he's in AW I'm so glad people got eyes on him and He's just so damn good. I completely agree. Right then, 
Uh, Manager Ballet of the Year is the next award, I believe. So let's see. Who's your Manager of the Year, Ballet of the Year, John? I have gone with the incredibly irritating yet very effective Riley Madison, the Hail Riley full of grace from ICW. She managed Casanova Valentine for the for several months and then has just switched alliances to Alex Ocean in an attempt to revive the Raw or Six sex scene, I'm pretty sure. But either way, she's entertaining to have around. She's good at what she does and yeah, as far as valets go, deserves a shout out. Okay. Marcus, who's your Valley of the Year? Oh, this was a this was an interesting one because it, it felt like I uh, wasn't an extremely uh, broad uh, field to pick from. But, and I wonder if we kind of picked the same here. Um, I'm going to go uh, with Eddie Kingston here. Um, obviously, everything you said about um, the guy, I mean, he's just, uh, to say he's captivating on the mic, um, you know, it just kind of goes without saying. The man demands your attention. Uh, if with nothing else than just the looks that he that he that he does and the facial expression is brilliant. But uh, he is coming to AEW, and really, it's kind of unfortunate that he's had to kind of be uh, a manager for for guys like Pentagon and Phoenix, who, you know, you're coming out of Lucha Underground. You would think that they wouldn't even, you know, necessarily need any aid. But I think that kind of speaks to some larger issues that you kind of. Uh, touched on with, with AEW, but I digress. He, he oftentimes feels like his own manager because he just, he feels like he's like a one-man band in terms of doing everything, but he's he's helped guys, you know, uh, like the Butcher and the Blade and, and guys like uh, Phoenix and, and Penta with what they're doing right now in terms of, you know, making that, that whole situation relevant and bringing some attention and awareness to it. So I got I got to give it to Eddie, man. He uh, He's the guy that people can get a rub off on. And uh, so, you know, that just kudos to him with that. Well, my nomination is Eddie Kingston. <laughs> <laughs> um, because his work, again, uh, has just been phenomenal in getting people over um, you know, the Death Triangle managed to get over because of their association with Eddie Kingston and turning on Eddie Kingston. So he's been an absolutely outstanding ta- to mouthpiece. I would also say Taz as well has been really, really good because Taz normally annoys me uh, <laughs> badly. <laughs> uh, um, um, you know, as as a as a commentator, but as a manager, he was been absolutely outstanding in AEW, and I've been very happy to see him. It's been so interesting because, that... as far as like managers and valets go, AEW have kind of been at the top of the game for it. Because you've had Vicky Guerrero for Nyla Rose, you've had Tully Blanchard for Sean Spears, then FTR Taz. They just keep bringing like they're bringing it back because like managers and valets tend to go like through drips and drabs. You'll get a lot of them, and then all of a sudden there'll be none of them. AEW's tried to consistently be like, right, we want this traditional wrestling trope in. We've got people we know who are good at it. We'll bring them in to do it. It's it's all Again, it's really refreshing to see AEW take 
old tropes and make them work again for a modern audience. Yeah, yeah, it's been really, really cool. And I think that's the thing. I mean, it's I described AEW as WCW booking with Shikara's roster, so it should be ideal for me. <laughs> it's taken me a while to get into it, but I'm slowly getting it there. Our uh, next award is the Mick Foley Masochism Award. I'm going to let John go first because this is his deal. So let the man have his moment. Who is the biggest masochist in professional wrestling, John? Because you're the true expert on this. See, I, there are so many options I could go for here. Like You could say Kenny Omega. You could say John Moxley. You could say Eddie Kingston. I have settled on Matt Tremont because most wrestlers do one retirement match and that's it they're like yeah i'm just gonna retire and this is it unless your name's terry funk or mick foley (laughs) then you do about 20 of them but matt tremont basically said right i'm gonna retire at x date this is gonna be my last match and then did a tour of about 13 or 14 matches against some of its students at h2o he took part in the ecwa super eight and then he had the two two of the nastiest death matches of the year against Alex Colon and Ricky Shane Page as his last two matches, both of which could rank highly any death match awards. Of, and yeah, he made sure to go out with as big a bang as possible. He <laughs> was literally telling his opponents, come on, put me out of my fucking misery as they broke light tube fans on his head. Like, <laughs> if that doesn't scream Mick Foley masochism, I don't know what does. Oh, well, there you go. I knew you'd have something special for that. Um, I'd best go next because I, I, I made Marcus follow you last time we did this style of award. So I have to say John Moxley because he does hardcore matches when he doesn't have to, which is truly hardcore. As Terry Funks once said about Vince McMahon, Vince McMahon gets hit in the head with chairs because he wants to. And John Moxley has hardcore matches because he wants to, and I think that's it. Doesn't make it doesn't make as many silly risks, and I'm sure now he's due to be a father. He won't take any silly risks, um, but he's made compelling matches out of a lot of violence, and I think that's kind of what the McFoley Award is about as well. So I'm going to go with John Moxley. What's your thoughts, Marcus? Yeah, great picks by both of you guys. I'm I'm glad I'm going last because I'm I'm about to be obscure and and why I'm giving this particular person this award. Um, it's in, it's in the vein of, of uh, masochism, but but for a different reason. If anybody's watched AEW this year, there was one particular narrative that was going on, which was very confused and disheartening and really just utter cringe, and that was Matt Hardy's death wish. Um, it's I don't I don't understand what was going on. Uh, <laughs> it was it's really getting to a point where it's like saying this guy had a, you know um was literally working against his own grains, like saying Ricochet was kind of athletic. I don't know what he was thinking or how many times that he almost lost his own life in a feud with Sammy Guevara, but uh yeah. You know, I, I got to give this to him because it was just like, what What are you doing? Like, you, you're far <laughs> career than you are the beginning of it. You're a father of, what, four or five or, or something to that nature. Um, you and your brother seem like you may be in the same physical condition 
um, that that Bruce Wayne was in The Dark Knight Rises, which not good at all from a physical perspective. And you are out here having taken chair shots and and, and falling off scaffoldings and this, that, and the third. Like it's it's ridiculous. And uh, like I said, I got to give him this award not for anything good, but detrimental nonetheless. So yeah. There you go. I think those are all fair awards. And finally, our last award of the evening. We've been at this a while, an hour and a half now. This is one of our longer shows. In fact, one of our longer award shows. We'll start with Mr. Marcus Green. What is your North American moment of the year? For me, I got to give it to the the Roman Reigns heel turn. Uh, For no other reason than um, it felt like this company was going against its own grain because... It has mastered the art of getting in its own way. Um, obviously being led by uh, a maniac at times. But yeah, this was this was something different in the fact that, you know, we kicked off the year with him basically making the decision that, you know, he's going to look out for his own self-interest and not put his company ahead of his, his family and, and his own personal health. And then he came back and, and basically did the one thing we thought we'd never see him do. And that's Stern Hill, and he's turned out probably to be the most entertaining thing, which that ain't saying much because that's not a, a large category, but he's probably the most entertaining thing in the company right now. And uh, <laughs> with, a, with a gimmick that's actually compelling for now. But, yeah, I don't think anybody saw that Hill turn coming, specifically teaming up with one uh, Paul Heyman. So that's that's probably the moment of the year for me. Fair enough. I think that's a reasonable uh, award, award nomination. John, what's your North American moment of the year? Mine is Eddie Kingston called out the world. <laughs> he debuted for AEW before he took on Cody in the challenge. Eddie Kingston had a match at the 4th of July. I think it was the 4th of July ICW show. So he was in the middle of a field. He just fought Brett Eisen in a ring surrounded by chains in a King's Road style masterpiece. And I, I mean that genuinely. They literally beat the absolute hell out of each other with piercing, story, everything you want from like a classic match. And then Eddie Kingston takes to the mic and he puts the entire wrestling world on blast. He calls out Nick Aldis. He calls out Cody. And in just a five, I think it was a five minute profanity laden speech that a fan tried to heckle and nearly got killed for, he put everyone unnoticed and about a month later he's challenging cody and throwing him into thumbtacks it's one of the most powerful promos one of the most powerful speeches i've ever seen you make your own breaks in this industry is what everyone used to tell the young guys and eddie kingston is living proof that it can still be done um marcus I'm gonna talk to you about I'm gonna talk to you about moment of the year. I can't remember. Yeah, short term yeah. memory loss. Short term yeah. memory loss is is okay. affecting all of us. Yeah. <laughs> My turn and the last nomination for the year. My moment of the year is the Motor City Machine Guns returning to Impact Wrestling. Some what seven years after they left and picking up like they'd never been away. Like Marcus said earlier, there were big holes in the Impact Tag Team roster which has always been strong in the division with teams like Beer Money and um, 
uh, with mostly machine guns and all of those tag teams of the early 2000s that really kind of pushed the division along. And MCMG filled the hole. You also got beer guns at one point when mm. Cowboy James Storm tagged with Chris Saban, which was pretty hilarious. <laughs> but yeah, um, why not? Okay, let's, we're doing that. Let's do that. So yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed my machine guns um, work. I think it was. I, I think you also have to make an honorable mention and impact for the WWE invasion of all the guys who got fired whose contracts ran out the same day, who went to join Diona Perazzo. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, I think it was absolutely an interesting year for professional wrestling, even though it wasn't the year necessarily we wanted. I and... might have just thought of another masochism award winner. If you'll allow Go me the floor. Go I will allow you the floor, Mr. Dinsdale. The entire cast of Talking Shopamania 1 and 2 for taking part in two of the most entertaining but worst pay-per-view experiences of the year. <laughs> Both of those shows were absolutely amazing messes of horrendous wrestling, gimmick matches, insider comedy, and just cameo appearance after cameo appearance after cameo appearance. The ball-for-a-ball ball match at Talking Shop and Mania 2 is one of the most funny things I've seen to date. And, yeah, that just for masochism again, that, that feels like it needs a shout-out. Yeah, I think that's one too. Anything else you'd like to add, Marcus, before we close? Oh, no. No, all good. You're all good? Right, then. We will wrap up our show this week and the Troopany Show Awards for 2020, the year from hell. Thank you very much for listening to this today. I would like to thank my guest, Mr. John Dinsdale of Steel Chair Wrestling Magazine. Thank you for your time, sir. Thank you. Uh, where can we find you on the internet, sir? Uh, you can find me at John Deathman on Twitter. It is basically the gateway to hell to find all my writing, opinions, ramblings, etc., etc. Yeah, just John Deathman at Twitter. And check out the Steel Chair site where there are usual deathmatch reviews, show reviews, and interviews. And Mr. Marcus Green of Baton Rouge, Louisiana, where can we find you on the internet, sir? Thank you very much for your time today. Yeah, man, always a pleasure, man. Um, glad I got to, uh, was able to get on here with you, uh, as always. And, of course, uh, I think this is my first time getting on here with John. I think, I think you... New Japan shows, but, yeah, it's a rare occurrence. Yeah, so yes. it was, yeah, it was, it was good to get on uh, with, with both of you guys uh, here. And, uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at uh, ParadoxKid, that's P-A-R-A-D-O-X-K-I-D. Um, always down to talk with uh, logical, sensible individuals. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you can find me at Sheriff Lonestar on the on the on the Truth and the Show. No, you can find me on the Truth and Show every week because it's my show. You can find me on Twitter at Sheriff Lonestar. You can find the show Truth and the Show, and you can find us on Facebook for the Truth and the Show and Patreon the Truth and the Show. We can keep us free forever for everyone doing the maths. Next weekend will be Christmas. So this is the last show before Christmas. Merry Christmas, everybody. Have a nice time. Merry Christmas. There you go. There you go. Um, and, uh, of course, 
most of you who listen in the UK will be under uh, tier three or four. So sorry. I hope you, you you will be locked in listening to us. And you can go back and listen to the archive of the Troopany Show, the Wrestling Rewind, today at the G1 Best of Super Juniors and World Tag League, and relive your year through audio. Um, through audio. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening. Next week, I'm not sure what we'll do. I, I'm kind of trying to see if I can get a Christmas special together somewhere along the line. Um, where we look at something Christmassy, because that's what we try and do on Christmas weekend. Hmm. And the following weekend, it will be our preview of Wrestle Kingdom, which, of course, will be on the 4th and 5th of January. So for that, we'll say goodnight, take care, speak to you soon, and Merry Christmas. Goodbye. (laughs) 